You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore netter. Well, today, 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 I'm going to start with Patreon because I keep saving it until the end and only have time to get through like one. So if it takes the whole time, it takes the whole time. It is what it is. But I asked this question um, a long time ago, and I'm barely chipping away at it. There isn't, there isn't a ton left, but um, I want to make sure that my attention is put here. So it will be draft-focused today, which is fine because that's, that's a big part of what's going on. I know there is also some questions about free agency. We've pretty much covered the names. Um, I do want to take a little bit more time looking at other positional names. Um, not a ton. Uh, there's also trade targets and those kinds of things. But one thing I want to comment on about that, and I kind of alluded to it, I think, in the past, but... Um, something to keep in mind, according to Ken Ingles, the Packers basically have $0 right now. Um, when you factor in the other expenses that are upcoming, whether that be the amount of money you generally want to carry into the season, you don't want to go into the season with $0. There's always acquisitions, and the Packers always make acquisitions, and a lot of them are quite good. Razul Douglas, you'll remember, was not brought in prior to the season. He was brought in during the season because we had a little bit of money to play with. Not much, but enough. Um, they may go in with a little bit less than Ken is expecting. That's entirely possible. That's not a, a static number. Um, just like the, the, the draft picks, it's not really a static number. Uh, that's another thing we're going to have to have money for. When we make these draft selections, we have to pay them money. And that money will go against our cap. So... Um, that's money that we need available. So basically, according to Ken, we're basically at zero right now. Um, there may be a little bit of flexibility, but the idea that we're going to be adding a DK Metcalf or even a Julio Jones at this point, pretty unlikely. There are some things that we can do to free up more money. The biggest probably at this point being Jair, um, which I don't even think that's as big as people are expecting because his contract isn't massively high at the moment. It's not like we've got a you know, $40 million guy, we can chip him down to 20, you know, it's, it's significantly less than that. And he's going to get a massive contract. So, um, you can't exactly get that down, you know, as super low, but I, I, I don't remember exactly what the numbers guys said, but I, I want to say it's somewhere around seven, maybe I'm kind of making that up, but I feel like that's, it's sitting in my memory for some reason, maybe cause it's fake. I don't know. Speaking of sitting in my memory, real quick, just real quick, before we get into this, I want to tell you about my dream, because I want this documented. For no other reason that if and when I start seeing a shrink, I want to be able to, to uh, revert back to this and be like, all right, I got to tell you, this is crazy. So I don't remember all the details. I don't. I don't remember how we got here. But <laughs> what the heck was I even... We were watching nature shows at my grandma's house. That has nothing to do with this. I wasn't watching Monk, so that wasn't anything. How did this happen? Jeez. Anyways, first thing I remember, or the earliest part of the dream that I remember, my dad, just so we're clear, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, nothing, right? He cut all that stuff out a long time ago. He calls ahead to the gas station and orders a bunch of stuff, random stuff, 
One of the things that stuck out to me was a couple packs of cigarettes. And I'm thinking, that's odd. It's also kind of weird. Even even in my dream, I'm thinking, it's weird you're calling ahead to the gas station. But he did. He pre-ordered his stuff at the gas station he was going to go pick up. And it just kind of gave this, he's skipping town vibe. Well, there was also a package he left behind. And, and I think like my grandma or somebody started rooting through it. And he, she picks up a doll that doesn't have a head on it. And somebody barges in and says, don't, you know, touch that or whatever. It's a bomb. Long story short, it was my dad that planted the box that had a bomb in it. I don't remember exactly how all these things came to work. My family wasn't my family anymore. There's a bunch of... My family changed like seven times in this dream. Completely different people. I had to go back with my old family in Illinois, and we're all getting new phones, and I had told the guy I don't want a new phone, and then I'm like, shoot, I should have got a new phone because this thing is actually kind of broken. Plus, we're leaving town. We're being told that we have to go to Hawaii because we have to flee, and we have to abandon everybody. We got to block people. You know, we're just going to go through manually blocking everybody that messages us. It's kind of random and whatnot. But we're heading out of town forever. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking people, I'm like, well, if we just leave town, don't the police and FBI look for us? And wouldn't it be relatively easy to find us just hanging out in Hawaii somewhere? Like, this doesn't seem like a great plan. By the way, the guy that was getting us out of town is uh, Saul. Better call Saul guy. That was literally, that was the guy. And the way that you get in touch with them is you go to Facebook Messenger and you touch in an empty white spot at the top and you keep tapping it. And as you tap it, the message thing grows. And then you can get into the secret menu and you can do all this stuff. By the way, um, there's a bunch of celebrities. Shaq was there. I knew this because there were a bunch of pictures of this place we were going. Shaquille O'Neal was there and a couple other people. But I kept trying to hit that secret message. So I'd be like, dude, I want a new phone, like an upgraded phone, man. Anyways, the only other thing is we had to get out of town and go to Hawaii. And the way that we did that was on this massive sailboat. And all I could think was, and I kept telling people on this boat, like, have you ever looked at a map? Do you know how far away Hawaii is? Like, it's, it's deceiving. If you go look on Google Maps, it is way out there. Like, we think of Hawaii as being like, you know, you could almost see it with binoculars off the coast. No, 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 dude. It is, it is stupid far. How are we going to get there in this boat? Well, I kind of black out. Next thing I know, I come to, and everybody's taking showers. Like, it's this, it's this, thing you have to do. You have to put on these thermals that are just sitting there, and you have to take a shower. Well, my new family, who's all Hawaiian now, by the way, I don't know how this became my family, but there's these Hawaiian people, and there's a lady who's like my, I don't know if it's my mom or my wife or who this lady is, but she's completely traumatized. I apparently was so traumatized I blacked out, but then now I'm not traumatized because I blacked out. But these people won't talk to me. I'm like, dude, what happened? How long did it take us to get here? And this lady won't talk to me. And these people that are done with their showers are just walking past me. And I'm like, should I grab, do we just grab these thermals sitting here? Nobody will talk to me. I'm like, do we have to pay for these? Because they're sitting on like a rack. Like they're hanging on a rack with tags on them. Like I don't have any money. I have nothing. What am I supposed to do here? And then I woke up. So my dad planted a bomb for our family. And then for some reason, we had to flee the country with, with people that I don't know in a sailboat to Hawaii to go hang out with Shaq and Better Call Saul guy. So that was my dream. And I never got to see Shaq. I don't know if he's still there or what. I mean, he's doing commercials and stuff. Maybe he was just there for a short time and then he came back. Plus, he's pretty high profile, so I don't think he's been hiding. But that was my dream. Edward asks, or comments, I think post-draft should be focused on hungry special teamers. First of all, that's a good point. Because one of the things I'm, I guess, struggling to reconcile, not that you can't necessarily do both. There's going to be some some gems that we like for this and that and the other thing, but Special teams is kind of a weird thing where you don't draft special teamers. I mean, you can, but you really never do. You draft wide receivers that can also contribute on special teams. You draft linebackers, you draft whatever, defensive tackles that can, you know, line up on field goal blocking units. But I don't think you generally are going to draft guys 
Like, you don't draft kick returners. You just don't. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't, and that doesn't mean that there aren't sometimes you look at a couple guys and you say, well, there's a defensive tackle we like and there's a wide receiver we like, but this wide receiver also is a kick returner, therefore we're going to err on the side of special teams. That's also a possibility. But again, it doesn't come down to defensive tackle or, or kick returner. It comes down to defensive tackle or wide receiver that we like that also has this attribute. And so special teams always has this massive disadvantage. And I think the Packers' biggest disadvantage is that they, more than any other team, think that way. It's, it's, it's kind of similar to my theory on why they, quote-unquote, never draft wide receivers in the first round or never draft linebackers in the first round. It's not necessarily that they would never do it. It's just that if you have a lower um, view of a position, it's unlikely that any players are going to fall to you that you like. When, the, when 31 other teams like wide receiver more than you like wide receiver, for example, or think that it's more important than you think it's important, then any player that you think is worth drafting sitting at 28 is going to be gone. Because if they're worth a pick 28 to you, then it's pro- they're probably worth a pick 22 to somebody else. Same with linebacker. Although it's entirely possible you devalue the position so much that there isn't such a thing as a first-round linebacker worth drafting. That's possible. I don't think it's true. I'm guessing if like a Micah Parsons fell all the way to, to whatever 20th position, the Packers would be interested, like a top 10 guy. But the point is those things just don't happen. And so I think it really just comes down to it's not that the Packers would never do these things. It's just that they have a lower opinion of these things than other teams do. Now, that's part of the reason why I think this year could be the first year that we see first round wide receiver in a long time. Because first of all, that was never a thing. It really just comes down to how badly do we need it. And when, you're a, when you have a team that has Devontae Adams on it, number one. So you have a number one guy. So you're not looking to draft a number one guy. So why would you draft a first-round wide receiver? I mean, there are a couple reasons, a Devontae replacement or whatever, but it just isn't that high on the priority list. Plus, they like guys like MVS and Alan Lazard more so than I think even the fans do. Even though the fans like MVS, uh, particularly MVS, more than I did and and probably like Lazard about as much or, or more than I do, um, the Packers, I think, even had a higher opinion. And so they're looking at these guys as uh, as a really good, solid group, especially when you factor in all the other positional needs, right? The Packers have a higher opinion of offensive line than the fans do, clearly, because fans generally just don't care about offensive line. It's boring. I mean, we know the, the draft media doesn't care about offensive line. They just refuse to talk about it. And if somebody drafts an offensive lineman, they'll talk about, oh, yeah, he's a great offensive lineman. Then they'll quickly pivot to talking about wide receivers, quarterbacks, maybe running backs. Um, more exciting position, pass rushers, you know, the guys that make highlight reels. Offensive linemen don't make highlight reels. Unless there's some stupid, like, psychotic pancake that happened, they don't care, which is stupid because, as I've said a billion times, the only thing an offense can do is run and, run and pass, and you can't do either of those things without an offensive line. It is, it is, aside from quarterback, if you consider offensive line to be a thing, not one, one of five positions, but just all five of them as one, there isn't anything more important. There just is not but nobody ever cares about offensive line. Anyways, getting back to the, uh, the special teams thing, the, the nice thing about post-draft is that I think you can kind of lean in a little bit more towards special teams. In fact, you could probably even start in, in round seven, possibly round six, because my opinion of round seven, which has been well-documented, is you're kind of just getting a jump start on the undrafted free agent process, the priority undrafted free agents. There's a high list of guys that we got to call first. Well, the seventh round is when you just you know, you pull out. So the Packers have three seventh round picks. We basically have three trump cards. We're not going to let anybody else get the opportunity to even call these guys because we're going to take them now. But I think that is a little bit more 
the opportunity to, I mean, granted, again, they're still going to be looking at, this guy might have potential as a wide receiver. This guy may have potential as a running back. So they're, they're going to be looking at that, but it might be an opportunity to say, because there's no real limit on guys that you can call. If there's a guy that's nothing more than a great special teamer, for sure you call him. He might not make the cut at the end, right? If, if, we, if we're prioritizing wide receiver, running back, linebacker, all these other guys, and we just don't have space for him because we have so many guys that we just like outside of a pure special teamer that has no ability as a, let's just say, linebacker, then I guess he doesn't make the cut. But you can at least bring him in because there's a lower commitment threshold, right? I mean, we're, we're, just, we're just bringing him in as an undrafted free agent, and if we end up cutting him, it's not a big deal. But you can call as many just special teamers as you want. Well, I mean, there's still a 90-man limit, I think. I don't know. The COVID thing kept changing all the time, but I believe we're at 90. But that's a massive amount of players. And, and within that 90, the guys you have, the guys that you drafted, um, there's still a huge gap to backfill. I, I think you can get a lot of undrafted free agent guys that are just special teamers. And so I'm going ha- to use my handy-dandy uh, special teams uh, PFF thing here, and I'm just going to rattle off a couple potential names. All right. And if they happen to be, I'll tell you if they're draftable or undrafted free agent type guys. But since we haven't really talked about special teams, let's just go ahead and do it. Um, I'm not going to start with kick returner, punt returner, kicker or punter, which are all needs for this team, apparently, because we don't know about Mason and Bajorquez and all these guys. Presumably, they're probably gone. I don't know. But um, there are, mm, let's call it 11 special teamers who are uh, apparently in the 2022 draft year. The, the, the draft year thing for PFF, by the way, is not great, but I mean, there's so many human beings. I'm just going to go based on this. There's probably some guys that I could switch to 2023 that are declaring, but I'll, I'll trust that they're pretty accurate. Um, 11 guys that have 90 overall, and we're going to cut off the limit there. Obviously, anybody with an 80 or higher would be great, but I'm not going to go through 50 individuals. I think 11 is good enough. The first is, and this we're going to go from the bottom to the top. He's got a, like an 89.8 overall grade. We'll call it a 90. It is Josh Powell, linebacker out of FIU, Florida International. He was used all over the place on special teams. 261 snaps. Um, primarily, 88 of them were on kick return. This is, you know, blocking. I'm not talking about being a kick returner. Um, the next highest was punt coverage, but all of them, kick coverage, punt return, and a little bit of field goal block. So a little bit off the edge, maybe trying to come come get these guys. But um, he's always been decent. He spent five years at FIU, um, has slowly gotten better, 57, 67, 63, 70, and then this year, 90. So it's really been kind of just his craft. You know, I, I doubt this guy who's not even on, I mean, this consensus big board, which has do 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 588 prospects. He's not even on the list. So, you know, again, this is not a guy that's going to get drafted. Maybe, however, this is a guy you call up and you bring him on to your 90-man roster knowing he's never going to contribute as a linebacker. But let's see what he can do as a special teamer. Again, that's Josh Powell of FIU. Interestingly enough, the next highest graded guy is Tommy Zozus of FIU. So they must have some pretty good special teams or something over there. I don't know. But he also is four years at FIU. His last year was kind of a breakout year, 90 overall grade. His thing though, is just consistency of, over the year. His highest grade was a 77. 
But considering he was just really good pretty much every single game, it ended up being a 90 overall because they don't just average grades. I forget exactly what the name of it is, but it, this is just how their thing works. But the cool thing about Zozus, something to keep in mind, and definitely a guy that you call, is that he's not a linebacker or anything. He's a long snapper. So he is a long snapper with a 90 overall grade. Um, so obviously this is a guy, so I should clarify, there are three positions that you don't have to have them do something else. That's long snapper, kicker, and punter, obviously. But we definitely need a new long snapper. This is, according to PFF, the highest graded long snapper. Of all the other guys that we're going to list, we've got defensive tackles, edge rushers, linebackers, safeties, corners. This is the only long snapper on this list. So, um, highest graded long snapper that there is. So, Although uh, Zozus or whatever is not even on this list, which has two long snappers on it, Cal Adomitis out of Pitt and Jordan Silver out of Arkansas as the top long snappers. Again, according to PFF, this is the best one. So not impossible, although he's not even on the top 500 and some odd list. Not impossible he's a seventh round guy if somebody thinks he's a legit long snapper, but we'll see. Next up with a 90 overall grade, Zach Morton, defensive tackle out of Akron. So these are pretty small schools, but um, again, it doesn't matter. If you can do it, then you're valuable. He's also not in the top, you know, 588 or whatever, so unlikely to be drafted. Not impossible, but unlikely. 103 snaps on special teams. His primary was field goal block and field goal kick, which kind of makes sense because that's where you use the big body guys. But a 90 overall grade while doing that. So um, pretty awesome and pretty beneficial, and something we could absolutely use. Caden McDonald, edge rusher out of San Diego State, 90 overall grade. His main specialty, uh, punt return and field goal block, makes sense as an edge rusher, but he also had a 90 overall grade. I should uh, mention a couple other things here as far as actual statistics. Josh Powell, six tackles, three assists. Um, also had a missed tackle in there, but he's, he's actually got some statistics. Tommy Zozus, the long snapper, also had four tackles and one assisted tackle as well. Then we got another San Diego State guy, Seagun Olubi, who is a very versatile linebacker. A lot of these linebackers do a little bit of everything, but 180 snaps on special teams. Uh, he did kick return, kick coverage, punt return, punt coverage, field goal block. He did everything. Primarily was punt coverage, but again, he did everything. 90.1 overall grade, three tackles, one assist, and he is not on the big board. So again, another guy that you would be calling after the draft to come in and be a special teamer. Ron Stone, Washington State, is an edge rusher, did a little bit of everything, was primarily punt coverage, 90.2 overall grade, had a tackle and an assist. He is also not on the list, so another guy to keep an eye out for after the draft. At number five, Marquel Dismuki out of Nebraska, uh, primarily field goal blocker, but also did a little bit of punt return and kick coverage, 90.3 overall grade. Obviously, not a lot of statistics being a field goal blocking guy. He's not going to have a lot of tackles unless he's tackling the kicker, which is not allowed. But he is also not on the big board, so another undrafted free agent type. He's a safety, by the way. Next is Jason Taylor at number four, safety out of Oklahoma State. Uh, 23 snaps, kick return, 39 field goal block, a little bit of punt return also. Also not in the top 588. Cornerback Skylar Thomas is number three out of Liberty um, primarily a field goal block guy. He's a, I think I said cornerback, 16, uh, snaps, punt coverage, seven punt return, but 43 field goal block, 91.2 overall grade, had two tackles, not in the top 588. At number two overall, Alex Spillum, safety out of Coastal Carolina, 64 snaps at punt return, 37 at field goal block is primarily what he had done in his career, also not in the top 588. Finally, Logan Dublin, linebacker out of App State, 
had the highest special teams grade of any 2022 draft year player at a 91.4 overall, also not in the top 588. So of all the top guys, and maybe this is something to store in the back of our minds, really good special teams guys generally are really good special teams guys, and that's it. And maybe that is part of the problem with our special teams because the Packers, again, not that this is completely different than other teams, but it's just a priority. Whereas other teams will look at guys and say, I understand you're probably not going to be a good linebacker, but I care that much about special teams. The Packers are saying, you're a good linebacker first. You're a good corner first. And if you just have no ability in those areas, then I just don't want you, period. I mean, you can't just be a special teams guy, which is kind of silly if you think about it, because we have guys that are just special teams guys. You know, we've had guys in the past that it's like, come on, you know, right? I mean, you can play the game where it's like, well, maybe, and we possibly develop them, maybe. It's like, no, dude, he's special teams only. I don't want him on the field ever. But they are that break glass in case of emergency guy. You know, that, and, and I think that maybe is the concern is there is a scenario where there's enough injuries or issues to where you have to play. And this dude, no chance he's ever going to play on my defense or whatever. But um, it kind of comes down to that. I mean, if, if you really want a great special teams guy, it's going to be a guy that's probably really not good in some of these other areas. Just something to... Uh, some to keep in mind. And again, there's a bunch of other really good guys and probably some better that have a little bit more potential to be a linebacker, for example, or, uh, you know, whatever in another position. But of all the top 11 we looked at, not one of them is considered a draft eligible player at their at their position. So we'll see. We'll see if the Packers change their tune at all. Um, I kind of doubt it. But that was the reason why I really liked the question, because it Although you, you can maybe look at it and say, we're definitely not drafting any of these guys. What about post-draft? Would you be willing to fill your 90-man roster with a pure special teamer just to see what happens? If this guy's such a freaking ace, and it's not, you know, it's not like there's not a spot. I mean, th- there are guys on this roster where it's like, we could probably say goodbye to this person just to let this one guy. I don't know. Probably not, but it's worth talking about. Wayne says, the NFL mock draft database consensus big board has Alabama defensive lineman LeBrian Ray listed as the 275th prospect. They also show him as being as high as number one. He has had injuries throughout his college career. Is he someone the Packers would consider taking a flyer on in the fifth or sixth rounds? How about USC? Well, we'll, we'll pause it there because he's just completely shifting gears. So the, the fact that he was as high as number one really just goes back to a long time ago when basically you got to understand after the draft, people start working on their 2023 big boards. So after the 2021 draft, people started cranking out 2022 big boards. You're always going to list prominent Alabama defensive tackles as uh, very likely first-round picks, right? A lot of it just has to do with helmet scouting and consensus ideas. You know, this LeBron Ray guy is seen as a really prominent guy or whatever. And so it was just very lazily slapped together. Now, there are some prospects that stay up. Right, I mean, you. I think Aiden was probably always pretty high. I don't know. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau was actually always. I think he was number one. He fell slightly, but he stayed roughly in the same. But the the bottom line is, um, people started to realize that LeBron Ray is not. Um, and I I had assumed because I remember a long time ago, on the Draft Network there was a guy who was an Alabama defensive tackle that they had talked about, and they didn't think he was that great, and he ended up going really really high. And it's like you know what, from now on. Just assume these guys are just going to stay really, really high. So when I saw LeBron Ray listed at like 29th or something like that, I'm like, he's going to be just, he's going to be a top guy for sure. I just assumed it because they're, they're, they're always a little bit too low and then they, they go higher. But in this case, they started high just because he's an Alabama defensive tackle. And that's just like an automatic first to second round pick. 
And apparently when people started getting eyes on him and, um, you know, again, the injury issues with LeBron Ray, it's pushed him down and way down. I mean, I, I, I similarly remember going through this list and doing some mocks a long time ago and seeing LeBron Ray. And this is when I still, like, I forgot he, the last time I heard his name, he was a first round guy. And all of a sudden, here's LeBron Ray, and I'm in like the sixth round, and I'm like, something is broken. This doesn't make sense. So he has just done a complete free fall. And so again, when they say best rank first, I've never seen that. That must have been, I, I don't know when that would have been, a very, very long time ago. But we can go back, we can see all the way back in December, he was ranked 231st. His highest recent rank was uh, January 18th, he was ranked 201st. And his lowest was down here at 402nd. So um, I don't know when the heck he was number one overall. I can't go back that far, but it was a long time ago. In fact, if we look at mock drafts, the last time he was mocked in the first round appears to be, oh, oh, here we go. This is why. This was back in the 2021 mocks when he was expected to come out. So the last time he was picked at pick 23 was 728 of 20. So it was a way too early 2021 mock draft. And he was expected to go to 23 to the Patriots. Um, the last time he was ever mocked in the top 10 was January, February, March, April 27th, 2020. So it was a way, 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 way too early mock draft by NJ.com. Joe Giglio had him going six to new to uh, the Giants in the 2021 draft, a year before the 2021 draft. So again, the, the idea of him being... Um, taken early it's just not really a thing as far as recent mock drafts and we're talking this last several months or whatever you have to go to seven round mock drafts the highest he's been drafted recently as far as in this draft class um round five to the eagles and that was february 18th uh sixth and seventh round has been where he's been expected to go in in seven round mock drafts and these are team specific mock drafts rams raiders bears and Falcons had him going in the sixth and seventh rounds. So, um, so anyways, I, I, I just say that to clarify that the idea that some people think he's a first round pick, although his consensus is down, I'm not saying Wayne, that's what you're saying. I just want to make sure the way that it reads that nobody gets that impression. Nobody thinks he's a number one. Nobody thinks he's a first round talent at all. This was two years ago. People thought that maybe he was a first round talent in the 2021 class, and that has been completely dismissed. So. What he is, is a very late round defensive tackle. Would the Packers take a flyer on him? I, I don't know. I, I mean, somebody's going to pick the guy up. Do I have any reason to believe the Packers would be more or less inclined to take him? Not really. If anything, if I had to bet on a team, I would bet on Washington just because they always take Alabama guys. I mean, it's a completely new regime, so that's probably not a thing anymore, but that's the only thing that comes to my mind is they're obsessed with Alabama players. As far as the Packers, I, I don't have too much to go on. The only thing I could lean toward is say that they are probably less likely than everybody else because they're obsessed with injury. They really are very concerned with longevity. I mean, you even look at the Duran Reed pickup. It, it has everything to do with the fact that he's he does not have a lot of injury issues and he plays an entire season. Um, the fact that they look at bigger wide receivers and the main reason that they look for big wide receivers isn't because they're great blockers or because they provide more physicality. It's it's about injuries. It's about health. It's you know when they look for big slots, it's because the little guys get hurt too much. Um, I mean, you, you even look and there's, it makes sense when they went on a big run. I don't remember if it was 2020, 2019, what it was. The Packers were like the least injured team in football. They've done a great job of mitigating injury and that's on purpose. It's an intentional act. 
And so, I mean, again, it's it's a one in thirty two shot. But if you try to move the bar a little bit, I would say the Packers are slightly less likely because I think they're slightly more injury averse than other teams. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm basically at one in thirty two. Maybe bump it up to like one in forty, one in fifty shot, just if just based on the injury averseness. But um, you know, I mean, he's he's an Alabama guy, uh, sort of a defensive tackle slash defensive end. One of those versatile pieces that's also played some nose tackle. I mean, he's a, he's a very versatile piece, 6'5", 285. So he's kind of that, um, well, I think maybe the biggest concern is, is he a versatile piece or is he a, a tweener? And the difference being a versatile guy is a guy that can play at all these positions. A tweener is a guy that's, you know, for example, too small to be a defensive tackle, too big to be an edge rusher. I don't know. By the way, it just dawned on me that I never did um, kick return, punt return, kicker, puncher. Oh, well, we're moving on. That'll be for a later time. In fact, we should probably take a break because we're... Uh, Two questions in, we're already a half hour into the show. My dream took some time to get through, but it was important that we discuss it. It's important that you know it, you know? Like, you need to know these things, in my humble opinion. Um, do not forget about our GoFundMes over at uh, Twitters and Facebook and whatnot, and a modernfrontier.com where you can buy a big old box of meat, whether that be pork, beef, or chicken, or a combo box, whatever it is you want to do, but... Go ahead, make an order. If you're a little bit outside of Wisconsin or the Midwest, make sure that you message him first and and see if he can deliver it to you because you don't want thawed meat delivered to your door. That would suck. But uh, he'll let you know if you can can get that meat. And if you can, it's real simple. You just pay online and there will be a box of meat delivered right to your door. Shipping is included. Use promo code MEATPACKER. That is one word, all caps. You get $25 off your order. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Andy, who has a pile of questions here, starts off with Abraham Lucas. I'm wondering if he can run block. He says, you mentioned him in yesterday's pod, but that was four days ago. So five days ago, apparently I talked about him. So first of all, I have to give my Washington State caveat. And the only reason I keep bringing this up is I had talked to uh, Chris Landry, who I really like a lot. I haven't listened to his show in a long time, but I should probably go find it. But um, really like him a lot, really respect his opinion on a lot of things. He's, I've learned a lot since listening. He's one of those um, sort of, not GM, but ex-personnel guys. He's worked with college and pro teams. He now has a basically a private consulting business with um, NFL and college teams and stuff, doing stuff on the side. I don't know, but um, just, just a lot of things that he said. There's usually like one good gem per episode. Um, but I had him on the show a couple times. I've interviewed him, I think like three different times. Um, and one of the things he mentioned, I talked about one of the guys that we had drafted. I forget his name. I mentioned him the other day, but he was from Washington State. And I said, you know, is, is this a, you know, because the, the thing that got me excited is this is a team that passes a ton. And he's a really good 
pass blocker in a pass-heavy team, that should be a really good sign, right? And he said, no. Everybody's a really good pass blocker at Washington State because it is a get-the-ball-out-of-your-hand-quickly um, offense. So you don't have to hardly do anything to pass block there. He said it's, it's not a pro-pass offense. In other words, they're going to have to relearn everything when they come to the pros. The way that they have it run their offense at Washington State is completely contrary to what we have to do, and the way that they block is completely different. Again, because the ball is out of his hand in two seconds. So he has a 91 pass blocking grade. He's always, for four years, his grades have been 85, 87, 80, and 91. Almost every single game that he's played, it's been in the 80s, aside from his game against Utah, was a 61 overall grade because he allowed three hurries. But every time I see really high grades, really consistently, never has a bad day, and I see Washington State, the first thing that comes to mind is that voice telling me everybody's a good pass blocker in Washington State. So that's somewhat of a red flag. It doesn't mean he's a bad pass blocker, 6'7", 319. I'm sure, you know, obviously there's opportunities. He didn't allow any sacks, um, but he has have given up four sacks in his career, six hits and 39 hurries. This past year, one hit and nine, eight, eight hurries. So there, there obviously are certain times when they're, you know, the quarterback has to hold onto the ball and they drive the ball down the field, et cetera, et cetera. But just generally speaking, the Washington State offense is a little bit, um, it's extremely pass heavy but also just get the ball out quickly. To answer your question, though, run blocking, the answer is no, he's not. And again, you're coming from a pass-heavy offense, and you're shifting to a, I'm going to say run-heavy, but that's not really the right way. It's run-emphasized team. In other words, you're going to come here, and you're going to have to learn how to do a very complex um, run blocking stuff, and it's going to be drilled over and over again. And that doesn't mean he can't be taught, but he had a 68 overall run blocking grade this past year. He had two pretty solid games uh, almost in the 80 79 and 81 and then one game in the, at 73 so three games 70 and above otherwise 69 68 66 64 59 56 55 53 and 42 so half the year a little bit well three quarters of the year was 60 and below so 60s and below so no it's not his specialty at all again doesn't mean he's a bad football player doesn't mean he can't pass block doesn't mean he can't learn to run block um, it's sort of a negative and a positive that he's going to have to relearn everything because what the scouts are going to do is they're going to look at his tools because looking at what he did production wise is kind of useless because he's not going to be asked to do a lot of the same things. The question is, does he have sort of the athleticism, the size, the strength, the power? Can we teach him these things and would he be a good fit? I mean, it's still a higher risk because there's no baseline to say that he can, right? We, we, we can't watch him do what our offense does on a play-to-play basis, but that's generally in college, right? Colleges do a lot of wacky stuff. It's one of the perks of going to sort of teams that run a pro-style offense because it's just, it's an easy transition. I don't have to ask those kinds of questions. I can watch you run my offense and succeed at it, right? Or or at least positionally. That was my whole thing with DeGuara. I have no idea what they do on that team, but I do know that what they asked DeGuara to do was very similar to what LaFleur asks his tight ends to do. And so that was sort of a smooth transition. So I'm, I'm not going to flat out just say Abraham Lucas is not a good prospect. I'm That's just the information I have. And to specifically answer your question, no, he doesn't grade out very well as a run blocker. Andy adds, Cam Thomas, breakout season last year. Not a question, but um, it's good to know. So uh, based on PFF, there was a slight breakout, but he's been good for three straight years, 85, 81, and then 89. Uh, So that was his highest. But um, just from my own preference, I do like this. Um, I always like when guys get better every year, but if you've always been good, but still continue to progress, that's, that's even better. 
Um, statistically, clearly, there's a breakout. I mean, if you're looking just at his stats, and probably the only stat anybody cares about for an edge rusher is sacks, because that's the only one you can see ever, it goes from 6 to 5 to 12. But there was also a almost doubling of of opportunities. He went from 400 snaps to almost 800 snaps, so he went from 5 to 12. And from 2019, although 2019 was actually a pretty big jump because he had almost as many snaps as in 2021, he had 6. But anyways... Um, the, the bigger thing, too, is 40 pressures, 37 pressures, 77. Again, probably about the uh, similar... Well, let's just look at the percentages. 14.7% in 2021, which is great. Again, in college, I generally kind of grade on a curve a little bit because, I mean, there, there are legitimately guys that have been in the 20s before, like top-end, number-one overall prospects that are at like 22% pressure rate. And so when they go to the pros, it's like, okay, now you're, now you're one of those 15% guys, which is crazy high. But the point is, that there's a difference. So 14% in college is different than 14% in the pros, especially when you go to SDSU. You know what I mean? It's even a step down. It's not like you go to Ohio State or anything. But still, I'm not mad at 14.7% at all, especially when you got 12 sacks to back it up. But here's the thing. He only had 37 compared to 77 the previous year, but he only had 233 attempts. That's almost 16%. So he's actually higher in terms of his pressure rate the previous year. He had a lower pass rush grade, so, you know, as far as his consistency, he was better in 2021, but the numbers have stayed high. Um, and then 2019, again, was down 40 of 378. I don't really need to do the math on that. That's slightly above, you know, 11, 12% or whatever. So um, the last two years, really, he's he's quite broken out as a pass rusher statistically, and his grades have just stayed high. The only real downside is that um, there is sort of a lack of consistency when you look at his overall grades. Um, He's got one, two, three, four, five games in the 80s. One of them is almost a 90 against Hawaii Week 10. Then he's got one, two, three, four, five games in the 70s. And then he's got one, two, three, four games that are below that. If you just look on a week-to-week, it's 80, 60, 80, 70, 70, 80, 50, 80, 90, 70, 60. So it's just this kind of like jagged, like real good game, real kind of mediocre game, real good game, mediocre game, average game. Um, I'm kind of getting nitpicky, but you know, it does bother me a little bit when, when your 90 overall grade isn't because you're consistently just dominant, right? If I had to choose between a guy that was like 70s and uh, an occasional 80 mixed in and maybe a 60 here and there, and that's how he got to 90 as opposed to like a bunch of 80s and a bunch of 60s, I would probably choose the consistency. I'm just kind of a freak about consistency, I guess. So, I mean, Cam Thomas is um, clearly somebody you could see the Packers. I mean, anytime you've got a prominent pass rusher, I mean, unless we're just completely loaded, and even then it's kind of like we probably will. Because even, let's just say we had Preston and Zadarius and Whitney Merciless and we had Rashawn it's still not impossible if somebody said, is it possible we get a guy like Cam Thomas with our second, second round pick or something? Yes. Why? Because Zadarius Preston and Whitney Merciless are not really long-term propositions. I mean, Zadarius and, um, I mean, who knows what the contracts would have looked like, but th- th- there's no way that all all of these guys, Whitney for sure is is a one-term thing. And then Preston and Zadarius, we're not going to pay Preston, Zadarius, and Rashawn. So presumably two of these guys are gone. So Cam Thomas would just be the future at the position to ride with Rashawn Gary. But that's not even the position right now. Now it's just Preston and Rashawn, and we know we need depth. So yes, that would be an option. He wasn't asking, but I'm just saying. I mean, it's it's almost always an option to take a pass rusher. Because despite the fact that the statement that you can never have too many pass rushers is false, 
it's still relatively true that it's a premier position that teams are not usually afraid to load up on, especially when it's a rotational position, right? Like left tackle is a premier position. But if you have a left and right tackle that are going to play every single snap at the position, you're probably not taking a first round tackle. Not to say you don't want depth, but if you're if you're going first round, maybe even second round, it's like, eh, I don't think you want to go that early for just depth. Just on the off chance, these guys get hurt once over the next five years. Then we got this premier guy that's, that's stupid. Unless he can play, you know, versatility at, at guard or whatever, then maybe. But the point is pass rusher, defensive tackle, these are these are relatively premier positions that get rotated a ton, so it's not a big deal. Andy says, Jalen Tolbert, another small school guy, but usually on mock drafts I see from Packernet folks. Not exactly sure who that is other than Goose and JJ, but um, Jalen Tolbert, wide receiver, 6'3", 190. Um, definitely a quote-unquote breakout guy at South Alabama. Actually, uh, Goose was just asking me about South Alabama, so maybe he's talking about Goose. But uh, 64, 65, 79, 82, there's your kind of breakout. Um, a lot of that does have to do, I mean, he, he played more also, but it's always a good thing when we suddenly decide, okay, now you're a starter, and he, he breaks out, right? But uh, 1,085 yards and eight touchdowns in 2020, 1,474 yards and eight touchdowns in 2021. Um, he was never in the slot, hardly at all, 2018, 2019, 2020, but then he jumped up from 1.6% in the slot, which is seven snaps, to 164 snaps, 33.7%. So he got a little bit more time in the slot, kind of giving you that versatility, which is good, because although I don't think he's a slot receiver, generally outside guys are going to be moved in once in a while. Alan Lazard gets moved in a ton. Devontae got moved in a ton. Even MVS played some in the slot, so you you have that versatility, which is nice. And really the only drawback to Jalen Tolbert, I guess, is the school that he went to and the fact that he's, uh, well, I should see what his official weight is. That was his PFF uh, listing, which is not always correct. Six foot one, 194. So that's that's two inches shorter. So I was about to say that he's got the 6'3 thing going for him. But he's got an 8'8", uh, 8'55 RAS, um, which is actually surprising because he doesn't have super elite anything. Uh, the, the, the biggest thing, the only area where he really dominated was 10 yard and 20 yard split, which is kind of funny because we talk about guys with long speed. This is almost the exact opposite. Um, long speed generally are guys that are not super fast out of the gate, but once you get to 20, 30, 40 yards down the field, they're out running everybody. Um, this is the exact opposite. He had a nine, eight, four score on his 10 yard split. So across 10 yards, he got there in 1.49 seconds. He crossed the 20-yard mark at 2.58 seconds, which is pretty elite. But then he got to the 40-yard dash at 4.49. So he, he almost started slowing down based on the pace he was already setting. Right, His grades, for example, to give you some perspective on how great it is, uh, at 10 yards, it was a 9.84. At 20 yards, it was an 8.59. And at 40 yards, it was a 7.59. So short area quickness, burst off the line. He's kind of the opposite of a deep threat, <laughs> if you think about it. But um, had okay agility grade, a good composite explosion grade, and okay size, I guess. Um, so that's, I mean, Jalen Tolbert is going to be an, an, a personal preference thing, I think. There's nothing that really jumps out good or bad. Despite his 855, he doesn't, I mean, 449 speed is not anything super spectacular. 61194 is pretty, pretty baseline average. I mean, it's, if, if he was six pounds heavier, which let's be honest, that's not much. If he was 61200, he would be a very standard wide receiver. So I'm not going to give him too much crap about 6'1", 194. I mean, you know, do a couple push-ups, eat some uh, cheesecake, and you'll be fine. So I don't have any personal preference because I haven't watched him, 
but yes, you got the breakout. His size seems fine. His athleticism is decent. It really just comes down to do the Packers like him. If so, then they'll take a swing. If not, then whatever. Which is a boring take, but but that's the only one I've got because there's nothing really standouty about the guy. And yes, I said standouty. Andy's last question, comment, concern. What is your general take on draft day trades? I'm always looking at the trade value chart and scheming, but is there a real way to know uh, if that's going to play a factor for the Packers? Are the Packers more of a move up or move down team this year? Well, I kind of, and I know this is a question from four days ago, I kind of touched on that yesterday. The Packers have been a trade up team recently. Whereas Ted Thompson was almost always a trade back guy, which, you know, he likes to accumulate the picks and all that, which I completely respect and admire because draft is kind of a crapshoot, in my opinion. And the more picks, the more swings, the better. Um, but Gutekunst, and to his credit, he's he's done a good job in the early rounds at identifying that premier talent. And so I trust him to be a trade up guy because he recognizes these guys are the premier guys. And if you have a list of premier guys, and let's say there's, you know, three of them left and there's, you know, 10 picks. You start sweating a little bit. You start picking up the phone, making calls to make sure you secure one of those three premier guys left. Additionally, like I said uh, yesterday, I do think you can qualify the Packers as a team that is quote unquote one player away. There's never any team that's just like perfect aside from one position. So there's never really any team that's that is one player away. But there are certain teams you can identify if they just had a premier this that would make a massive difference you know, teams that are really good, but they just don't have that edge rusher or wide receiver or quarterback, which is a big one, right? They've got a great roster. If they just had a quarterback, those teams are obviously teams that want to trade up and get a premier guy if they're in striking distance. And if they actually like the guy, not just a guy with QB next to his name, but a guy that you actually think can be a premier quarterback, you're a player away. And so, yeah, the Packers could use, I mean, they certainly need help along their offensive line. It would be fantastic to add a, a great tight end threat, which a lot of these premier teams have that we just do not. And I don't think have had, basically, I'm just going to say in my lifetime, there have been a couple good guys, but we've never had a Travis Kelsey, at least, you know, again, maybe you go way back, but, you know, Finley was way overrated. He was never that good. Again, I, I very distinctly remember every year saying this is the year he's going to break out, and it just never happened. He was ne- he never met his potential. You know, maybe you go back to Chimura or something. I have no idea, but it would be nice to really have a high quality guy. And no, Tunyon is not that guy. He's never been that guy. He's another guy that's overhyped by Packer fans. I mean, I, I like him. He's fine, but he's. I mean, look at his contract that he got. Compare that to what guys like Travis Kelsey will get have gotten in the past. It's not even close. Um, would love to add. You know maybe another top defensive tackle because Jerron Reed is not that. I No issue with him, but he's just a rotational guy. Um, Wouldn't mind an additional pass rusher because we could certainly use the depth. We know that they like to rotate pass rushers pretty regularly with Joe Barry. And if you're going to do that, you kind of need four. Don't all have to be premier, but I mean, you definitely don't want two good guys and two just really horrible guys because now we're talking 40, 35%-ish of the snaps you're playing. You're just forfeiting that position. That sucks. Um, wouldn't mind an additional linebacker next to Devondre. Wouldn't mind a better slot corner so that we don't have to put Jair in the slot. Wouldn't mind a third safety. So, th- I mean, th- there's a lot of things you can do to upgrade the team overall. But I don't think it's unfair to say that they are a wide receiver away, especially when you're really just talking broad strokes about a team that's, you know, you look at now and go, it's good except for this one thing over here. You know, what is the one thing that if we just nailed it would catapult us the highest it's wide receiver so for that reason trade up makes a lot of sense and and plus it's not like we're sacrificing everything we don't have to trade the first two picks we could trade a first round and a fourth round or first round and a third round or a first round and a second round which we have two of to move up 
plenty of spots to get a guy if we even need to. Again, if we're five picks away and there's five guys we like and three of them are wide receivers, we don't have to do jack squat. You know, it's possible that it goes wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and then, you know, we still got a guy for sure, but it's not a wide receiver and that sucks. But generally, I would kind of expect, especially with four picks in the first two days, on top of, you know, the additional, you know, we like to use fourth round picks to trade up and I would love it. We would all love it if we traded up with a third round pick because we just don't want to deal with third round ever. Uh, it would be nice if we would just start forfeiting that for, for trade-up purposes. Turn it into a next year's second. I don't care. But yes, I think it is a, a we are a move-up team in an especially move-up year based on need and based on um, ability. Finally, Steve says, I have been one of those guys who is fine with Rodgers leaving and finally finding out what we got in love. With Rodgers staying, maybe two or three more years, should we trade love and start that process over? Anyone this year worth the look? Um, no, not this year at all. I, you, you guys know I love Matt Corral. I'm always going to ride with Matt Corral. Um, I hope like crazy, assuming he's not a Viking or a lion or a bear, well, he wouldn't be a bear. Although I would laugh hysterically if the bears took him, but that won't happen. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a big fan of his. I mean, until the day he becomes Pat Mahomes and starts winning a bunch of Super Bowls, then I'll start hating him. But, um, I'll take my victory lap and then start hating him. But, um, on the preliminary looks at quarterback that I've done, this is a extremely extraordinarily terrible quarterback class, and that includes Willis. Um, I think even now, even though none of them are considered as prominent as a lot of quarterbacks in the past, I think even now they're a little bit overhyped. And that doesn't mean that they, you, know, you don't have one or two guys go in the top 10 just because of the desperation of quarterback. That doesn't even mean the Lions don't take them at two. In fact, I'd probably be doing backflips if they did, because I just don't think any of these guys are very good. I was going through my... Um, sort of proprietary draft thing where I it's kind of a made-up formula that I'm trying to tweak a little bit here and there, but the quarterbacks were so low, I was like, dude, why is my my thing broken? Because all the I, I couldn't hardly get anybody with an 8 out of 10 overall grade, which just seems low. I mean, every, every time I've done this in the past, you got guys in the 9s, and if anything, you're like, everybody's a little bit too high. Until I looked at it, and I looked at some of the areas in which these guys were grading low, and I just went back to previous years, and I looked at it, and I said, like these guys would not rank. I mean, in this particular area, which they're graded, they wouldn't be top fifty. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Uh, JJ just recently, I don't remember exactly where, if he was just messaging me or if this was on, I don't know, but um, pointing out how Malik Willis has taken like fifty-five sacks. I think he just put it on Twitter, and it wasn't just because of a terrible offensive line. I mean, it's sort of like that Justin Fields syndrome, right, where he had a bunch of sacks, and they're like, well, that's the offensive line. It's like not really, dude. I mean, some of it maybe, but. Look at when Andy Dalton comes in. He doesn't take all these sacks. Why? Because it's not just, I mean, it's, a lot of it is on the quarterback. If you don't pull the trigger and you wait that extra half a second, you're subjecting yourself to more sacks. Yeah, and when you're a scramble around kind of guy, even, um, you know, Kyler Murray for a while, it's like he, he's always looking to scramble around, scramble around, scramble around. And, and, you know, even if he makes a bunch of plays, cool. But there's going to be a bunch of times where he's trying to make plays. Instead of just standing there and being a quarterback, he's going to scramble around and try to be Barry Sanders in the backfield. And, you know, a handful of these times he's going down and he just lost 15 yards. And it's like, you're an idiot. So I haven't watched, but it's just it's just stuff like that, that every time I actually dig into it, it's like, yikes, man. It's it's kind of yikes. So I'm, I'm sure if I turn on highlight reels of of um, Matt Corral and, and Pickett and uh, Willis and all that, it's going to be pretty fantastic. But I think it's the low end that's not great. So this year, absolutely not. As far as the overall plan, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I don't really see an urgency to get rid of Jordan Love just because I still don't know exactly what's going on with Rodgers. I mean, the, the, the general wisdom now is that we've got three more years. 
or at least two. And for that reason, you don't want to keep Jordan Love because you're going to have to pay him and you don't want to pay that much for a guy. But it just kind of comes down to, I don't know how long Rodgers is going to be here. And it's not going to kill us to take one more year just to be sure. Especially since, as I just said, there's no quarterbacks worth it this year anyway. And we got a bunch of picks this year. If we believe we can get a second, which granted, that probably goes down if we play him this year and he's horrible again. But if we can possibly trade him for draft capital next year, now that we're a year or two away from Rodgers pretty much assuredly leaving and are going to need to, I mean, we're, we're at that point now where it's like, this is a good time to start drafting quarterback. If you can get a second for him in a better quarterback class next year, it makes more sense. And yes, I'm talking about drafting a quarterback while Rodgers is still on the roster. That's something that has to happen. I'm sorry. I, 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 I don't care what Rodgers thinks about it. I don't care how much crying he does or how angry the fan base gets. You guys never learn. <laughs> right. We're not going to learn because I don't want to learn to be a crap team like the one you cheer for. I want to learn to do what the Packers do, which is win all the time. And you know what the Packers do consistently better than any other team? The reason why they're the only team over 30 years that has never been a crap team, aside from like one or two years here and there, it's because they fix problems before they come problem. They're not like every other team that waits until it becomes a problem and then hopes that next year we can just nail it in the draft, or like fans who just assume, oh, it's no big deal, let it become a problem, then you just draft somebody in the draft, no big deal, as though you can just snap your fingers and this great guy falls right into your lap. That's not how that happens. You fix problems before they become problems. So with three years out, we're already kind of getting into, it's uh, time to start looking at quarterbacks. (laughs) It is. And so if we assume we have 2022, 2023, and 2024, by next year, we need to start looking. So um, at this particular point in time, there are some really prominent quarterbacks. This may change. But as of right now, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, very prominent, very talented, um, like expected to go very early. Now, the odds that the Packers are in position to get them, very low, pending any kind of Aaron Rodgers injury. But you've got Spencer Rattler coming back. He's currently sitting at 21 overall. He went back to school, so he may be in range. Phil Jerkovich at 27. Heden, uh, Hendon, not Heden. Hendon Hooker, quarterback out of Tennessee at 48. Uh, and again, this is all going to change. This is just preliminary in March the previous year. So a lot of this will change, and probably a lot of this we're going to be laughing at the fact that we said this, that, or the other thing. But this is where it's at. And right now, if we're looking at a quarterback for next year, which I know is going to make Packer fans sick, but you asked the question, I'm circling Spencer Rattler. That's where we're at right now. Or Phil Jerkovich. Jerkovic, whatever. I don't know. Boston College, who cares? So... Anyways, if you're interested in thinking about that, it's something to think about, and that kind of makes the most sense to me. But um, we're going to leave it at that. i got to get going. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.